0: Find your way to the Gospel of John and your Bible of choice, John chapter 5. John chapter 5, putting in at verse 30, the topic, the Jewish religious authorities diligently searched the scriptures, but they were not looking for Jesus. The title of our message, "Searchin', searchin'. we got to be Jesus searching. Nobody knows that song. You don't know that song? Yeah. Del Shannon? Yes. Oh my, wh- what am I doing here? <laughs> Father, thank you for bringing us together. I'm always reminded, Lord, of that scripture that says that we are living stones. And that when we come together, Lord, you've actually brought us together and you put us together. We're not a rock pile, Lord, we're a, a sanctuary where we're sitting even lord is important in terms of maybe things that you want to say to us and people that we need to meet or greet or perhaps pray for we we can expect you to to do a work here in our hearts and through us in the hearts of others lord your word is a primary resource for us in it we desire to see you to see you glorified and magnified, to understand more of your love and your grace towards lost humanity. And so this morning, Lord, as we make our way through this section of verses, obviously we want to understand it in its context, but we also want it to minister to our hearts right where we live, right? In our homes, and our places of work, Lord. So that in small and great ways, we are more like Jesus Christ when we leave this place than when we arrived. We thank you and praise you. We do it in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said amen. Is Google making us stupid? In the book, The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains, which was a finalist for a Pulitzer Prize, Nicholas Carr makes the case that technology is inducing an intellectual decay into our brains. When you read a book, this is a quote, You take a thimble of information from your working memory and fill your bathtub of long-term memory. Yet when you read on the Internet, we transfer a jumble of drops from different faucets, not a continuous coherent stream from one source. Our brains don't assimilate the information in a rich and meaningful way, creating fewer connections between our other memories. We become mindless consumers of data. There was a search engine in Bible times. Jesus mentioned it, saying in verse 39, you search the scriptures. He was addressing the Jewish religious authorities, scribes, doctors of the law, Pharisees, and the like. Respectfully, their search habits were making them stupid. Jesus' full quote, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. They kept searching, searching, but it wasn't drawing them closer to God. We search scripture, placing a very high priority on the word of God. It's all too possible to search the scriptures and still miss the main subject. I'll organize my comments around two questions. Number one, are you searching for Jesus in your Bible reading? And number two, Are you satisfied with Jesus in your Bible reading? Let's look at our searching in verses 30 through 42. What is the world's most deadly book? A Strong Case Could Be Made for Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Law enforcement has labeled it the serial killer's book. One article noted, Conspiracy theorists have jumped on several ideas, including that the book is used by the FBI or other government organizations to trigger sleeper assassins. The book has been associated with the murder of John Lennon, the attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan. Lee Harvey Oswald had a copy. You might want to get rid of your copy of Catcher in the Rye uh, as soon as possible. It's not the book... It's the readers. They brought all the crazy with them. Now, we don't bring crazy, but we do tend to interpret the Bible through our own biases and preconceptions. And I think all of us would say, well, sure, that's true. But but we really need to understand it is true. It's almost impossible for us not to have a bias or a prejudice or a preconception when we come to the Bible. And the more we realize that, the less we will have of those. The most common example, and there's a whole slew of uh, cognitive biases, as they're called, the most common example that you'd recognize is called confirmation bias. Experts define it as the tendency to selectively search for or interpret information in a way that confirms one's preconceptions or hypotheses. Information that challenges the bias is more apt to be ignored or rejected outright. The most common form of this is somebody seeking a single verse that seems to encourage them in their decision uh, when their decision isn't really a good one. Uh, and, And so, you know, a lot of times we're looking for confirmation of what we've already decided we're going to do, and then we find the scripture for it. And people do this a lot, and then they'll come to me and they'll say, God told me. As soon as somebody says that, you're in trouble because now you have to say God didn't tell you or you're not hearing from God. And that's a big that's a big obstacle sometimes. But sometimes you're obligated. People will tell me all the time. Well, God told me this. I say, no, he didn't because he, he can't. As a matter of fact, because he said this over here. And uh, and so I, you can't. He's not going to contradict himself. Uh, anyway so confirmation bias and there are many biases so just be aware of them now in general jesus being a person not a proof text helps us to overcome biases because we're in a relationship with him we're not looking to him for a single verse or a single word we're looking to walk with the lord and be pleasing to the lord and that is a whole different animal than just looking for how i can or cannot behave in a certain situation And so we're looking for Jesus. Jesus had just revealed in chapter 5 that he was equal with his Father. He's now going to call witnesses to attest to that claim. In verse 30, where we pick it up, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus kept making it clear that although he was fully God, He had voluntarily set aside the use of his deity to do nothing except the will of the Father who sent him. Commenting on this sublime truth, A.W. Tozer writes, The man who walked among us was a demonstration, not of unveiled deity, but of perfect humanity. And so Jesus, fully God, fully man, an example to us of uh, what it means to be perfect in humanity, and how to walk with the Lord filled with the Spirit. Now, since Jesus only always did what the Father told him, the Jews could have immediately trusted that his works were exactly what God wanted done. But they kept questioning him as if this was some sort of a trial or a court of law, we would say. And so Jesus is going to bring witnesses before them the way you would in a trial to show that, Uh, what he was doing and saying was true. So in verse 31, he says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, this verse makes sense if you remember that the Mosaic law required two or three witnesses to resolve a matter. Jesus' testimony by itself, although true, would need corroboration from other witnesses if it went to court, so to speak. So verse 32 There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. John the Baptist introduced Jesus as the Messiah. But his witness was even greater than that when you realize that he was someone who came, the Bible says, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, they expected this from the Old Testament, the Jews did, that before the coming of the Messiah, Elijah would come. Or someone would come in his spirit and in his power, and so you have John fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy and then identifying Jesus. And so this is a really profound witness. In fact, all of the witnesses Jesus calls are star witnesses. They're not uh, Cato Kaelin, uh type witnesses. Anybody know who Cato Calen is? I love to date myself. <laughs> Pop culture. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to tell you who Cato Kalin is. You're going to have to look it up for yourself. Google it and get stupid. Uh, but anyway, verse 34, Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. John's witness was important, but it is ultimately insufficient in itself since it still is just from another man. He is just another man testifying. Jesus did not need to produce witnesses, He was God. He submitted himself to this, hoping it would help lead them to salvation. The Lord is always reminding us that he is not willing that any should perish, but that they would come to eternal life. And so it's almost rude to ask Jesus to prove himself, right? Because, I mean, he's Jesus. He's God. He's the God-man. But he's willing to do it, put himself under their scrutiny, so to speak, so that he can prove and prove and prove again that he is their savior so that maybe some of them will get saved. Uh, The Lord's condescension is an amazing, I guess, attribute uh, or characteristic, you would say, that uh, blows your mind. Uh, Verse 35, he was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. There's a distinctly Jewish meaning to this saying. Adam Clark writes... The expression of lamp our Lord took from the ordinary custom of the Jews who termed their eminent religious authorities the lamps of Israel. And so these guys who would teach them and uh, counsel them supposedly from God's word, they would think of them as shining light on the path that they should be walking. They were the lamps of Israel. Now we know that they were in the dark, Uh, Scripture says here at the beginning of John that they were in the dark waiting for the light to come, which was Jesus. They're, in fact, blind leaders of the blind, but they profess themselves to be the lamps of Israel. If you want to see a real lamp, look at John. He was all about Jesus. While these guys were in it for their own glory, John was saying things like he must increase and I must decrease. That's what a lamp does. It shines light where it belongs. Uh, It doesn't try and take light to itself. They didn't condemn John, but they didn't embrace him either. They checked him out, left him alone. They hoped he would fade so they could get their glow back. Verse 36, but I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And so Jesus had done many works, and he was going to finish all the works that the Father sent him to do. The Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, predicted that the Messiah would prove himself by many signs, wonders, and miracles. For example, when John the Baptist's disciples asked Jesus, are you the coming one? Are you the Messiah, or do we look for another? Jesus answered by saying, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard that the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Then in the Nazareth synagogue, Jesus preached from the passage in Isaiah that reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to tell the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set oppressed people free. And then after, after reading that passage, which is about the Messiah, Jesus proclaimed, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, claiming that those works identified him as the Messiah. The massive accumulation of signs and wonders and healings and exorcisms surrounding the ministry of Jesus was unprecedented. It was his proof. I mean, you know, John, as I keep pointing out, at the end of John will say, you just can't even write down all the miracles and signs and wonders Jesus did. There are too many of them. All the books in the world couldn't contain them. And so it was a special time that God uh, was pouring out his spirit to show them this is the one. Jesus is the way. Verse 37. Then the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. And so another star witness, God the Father. Immediately we think of the Father speaking from heaven at Jesus' baptism, but it says here they had never heard his voice. The opening verses of the book of Hebrews, I think, provide us the commentary on verse 37. The writer there says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. The Old Testament is God speaking in different ways to various people about Jesus. And then Jesus comes and reveals and fulfills all of it. Jesus made the Father visible to those who have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Hearing Jesus, seeing Jesus, was hearing and seeing God the Father. They were one, they were equal. But you do not have his word abiding in you because him whom he sent you do not believe. You can't reject Jesus and say you believe in God. Reject the Son and you reject the Father who sent him. These guys knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. We like to say that they dotted every I and crossed every T. They were into the numerology even of the scripture, the the Gemara and and all of the things that go into those kinds of things. But here we see that the word without Jesus as its main subject can actually make a person worse and not better because it encourages self-righteousness. If you're just looking at the word and there's no Jesus in terms of your Uh, affiliation with him or your faith in him uh, and you've put him aside then it's going to lead to a self-righteousness that kills it it kills you and it kills everybody around you it's the kind of thing that would uh, allow a person to react to the um, miraculous healing of a man who was infirm 38 years by saying you're walking around with your bed which is unlawful on the sabbath that's the result of studying the scriptures without jesus some of you you would probably say of people that you know oh that person they're not a christian but they know the scriptures backwards and forward better than i do yeah it's a it's a kind of spiritual death it's a self-righteousness no one can know the scriptures well and not know the jesus of the scriptures they don't know the scriptures well that's the whole problem they don't know anything if they don't know Jesus because God said the scriptures are about Jesus. And so if, if you were to say, well, what's the main subject of the scripture? I don't know, but I know them backwards and forward. No, it's Jesus. And if you don't know him, you don't know nothing, as we like to say. I can almost hear a scribe shouting, you're so vain, I bet you think this book is about you. <laughs> I should have went with that as a title. But now we're into at least our second musical number. Remember last week I talked about turning Bible study into a musical? That's coming, I'm telling you. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. The scribes, the doctors of the law, the Pharisees were attempting to receive eternal life from their study of the scripture alone. They believed that if you got deep enough into just scripture... You were saved. And they would. Have, that's why they came up with all these additional rules and regulations, different positive and negative commandments and categories and all, so that they could keep those things. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament era and he obliterates all that by saying things like, hey, you, uh, you're, you're, not, you're able to keep the law where it says don't murder anybody. Most people go through life without murdering anybody. And that's a good thing, he said. But the intent of the law is that you wouldn't even have the anger in your heart that would lead to murdering somebody. And there's nothing the word is going to do about that unless it's anointed by my presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. And so none of these guys could actually keep the Bible anyway. Uh, You can't do it without Jesus and his death and resurrection. I want to list a few of the ways scriptures testify of Jesus. Immediately after they sinned in Eden, God promised Adam and Eve that he would be born of a woman to redeem them and that their offspring would be saved while simultaneously he would restore his creation. In Deuteronomy, Moses talking about Jesus wrote, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. It was a prediction of a coming Messiah. Jesus was typified in the rock that gave Israel water in the wilderness. The Apostle Paul said that rock was Christ. The ministry of Jesus is shown in the seven different offerings that God commanded Israel to bring and in the seven uh, uh, feasts of the Jewish calendar. And Jesus and his ministry were shown in the tabernacle and its service. One place the New Testament makes this connection is with the word propitiation, which looks back at the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And so in those examples I've given you, there's at least one from each of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you can go through the rest of the books of the Bible and find examples of Jesus as well. My absolute favorite, Finding Jesus Scripture, is the near sacrifice of Father Abraham's only begotten son, Isaac. It was on that same spot where centuries later, God the Father would not spare his only begotten son. I was weeks old in the Lord when I heard that taught, and it positively blew my mind. The typology. I had no idea there were typologies like that in the Bible. And so you'll still hear this on... Uh, you know, media and, and different shows and stuff where people say, well, you know, uh, it, it was weird, you know, who, what kind of a God would have Abraham sacrifice his own son? Well, he, he didn't sacrifice his own son, did he? He stopped him. And what kind of a God would do that? The kind of a God who would sacrifice his own son so that you could be saved. That's the kind of God. And that is like, woo! that's like electricity. That's a Pentecostal moment right there, right? That's some exciting stuff. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, the book talks about me. And if you're thinking about me, when you read the story of Abraham and Isaac, you'll understand what's going on with a little geography when you find out that it's the same spot. And it's just, it's absolutely mind-blowing. No wonder Jesus could say, behold, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You might say that they were worshiping the scriptures or that the scriptures had become their idol. You know, sometimes people criticize and they say, well, we don't have the original manuscripts. And so we don't know, you know, how the Bible might have been corrupted. They ignore the Dead Sea Scrolls and all kinds of scholarship. But just dealing with that argument, here's the problem. If we had the original writings of the Apostle Paul, no one would be reading the original writings of the Apostle Paul they would all be locked up probably in a Roman Catholic vault somewhere and venerated because they were the writings of the Apostle Paul. And so, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's why, this isn't a revelation, but it's a reason why we probably don't have the original writings because we wouldn't know what to do with them. We wouldn't read them. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to pick on Roman Catholic doctrine, but, I mean, for centuries they didn't let anybody read the Bible, right? And and so, you know, obviously if you had the original documents, wow, you'd have some kind of treasure that you wouldn't want anybody to know about. One commentator noted, the Jewish scribes sought to know the word of God, but they did not know the God of the word. Novelist Ken Kesey famously hated the film version of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He was disappointed with the director's decision not to have the film narrated by the Native American in it, Chief Bromden. Kesey said something like, I wrote about the plight of the Indian, and they made it a story about Hollywood and Jack Nicholson. Kesey thought that they had missed the subject of his words. The religious authorities most certainly missed the subject of God's word. They were content to argue about what constituted work on the Sabbath, while the Lord of the Sabbath was standing next to them, offering them their kingdom. Jesus is doing all these works. He's just healed this man who's been infirm for 38 years. He's offering the kingdom. John the Baptist had been preaching about him. And these guys come in and say, this guy's carrying his bed. We can't have that. This is a massive violation of the Sabbath. And how do you get through to people like that? Well, that's tough. But it says here they could have believed. It's that they would not believe. They were not willing. They resisted the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Oh yes, God's grace is resistible to the detriment of the person resisting. I do not receive honor from men. Think of a court trial in which, despite overwhelming evidence to a person's innocence, they were nonetheless convicted on account of the bias of the jury. To kill a mockingbird comes to mind. The witnesses Jesus called upon were overwhelming Proof that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the God-man, God in human flesh, the one who was promised. He did not, however, receive that honor from men. They withheld it. But I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. Oh, wow, that must have hurt. But as much as it is a rebuke, Jesus was sent to resolve that deficiency by manifesting the love of God for them. No one, not Jew or Gentile, is born loving God. We all must be born a second time, born spiritually, born again. We can be reborn and regenerated on account of Jesus being sent by the Father to save us. Then we will have the love of God in us. If you are a non-believer this morning, you do not have the love of God in you. But you can if you will believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Were you the mean person who would ditch others? Remember ditching people? Or maybe you got ditched. <laughs> the religious authorities wanted the scriptures, but they wanted to ditch Jesus. Can't have one without the other. Every Bible exposure ought to have an element of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. You remember that story? It was after his resurrection. He was, uh, two of his disciples were on the way home to Emmaus, and he suddenly appeared to them, but he kept his identity a secret. And at one point, it says in the Gospel of Luke, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. I've heard it said, and I've said before, that that would be a great Bible study to have on tape. But the truth is, it wouldn't be great to have it on tape because that's the wrong way to think about it. We have the one who taught that study. It's Jesus, and he wants to teach it to us as we walk with him through our life. Jesus is alive. He's a risen Savior. We have the Holy Spirit within us. He can show us all of those same passages that he showed the two on the road to Emmaus. If we're looking for him in the scripture, keeping him the main subject. As we close these verses, verses 43 through 47, are you satisfied with Jesus in your Bible reading? So let me ask you this. How many bangles hats do you have in your collection? However, many they are, Bill Wilder has more. His impressive array of Bengals memorabilia contained no fewer than 130 Bengals hats. It's obvious where his loyalties lie. There were no memorabilia to display, but spend a few minutes with the religious authorities and you'd know that they were obsessed with Moses. Jesus is going to conclude by telling them that Moses would be extremely unhappy with them. Verse 43. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. Think of Jesus as the Father's ambassador. Reject the ambassador, and you've rejected the sender. Another might look ahead to the ultimate another, the Antichrist of the Revelation, but here in context, it seems to mean that these guys prefer to listen to one another, expound minutia from the scripture. So rather than receive Jesus, they want to listen to each other. And this is what they were doing as they were arguing about the Sabbath while Jesus was trying to teach them about the Sabbath. Verse 44, how can you believe who receive honor from one another and don't seek the honor that comes from the glory, excuse me, from the only God? They desired honor from each other, not from God. Their attitude is exposed in the book of Acts when they called Peter and John ordinary men, not well educated, and then they noted they had been with Jesus. So they were interested in worldly, earthly, material honor. They, they looked at Paul, uh, Peter and John and said, what's with these guys? They, they didn't go to school. They, they don't know what we know. They honored each other as smart individuals, but John and Peter were blowing their minds because they were uh, just average fishermen that were uh, coming up with these incredible arguments. And that's it in a nutshell. It isn't how many letters you have after your name. It's about being with Jesus. Uh, It always cracks me up how many letters some people have uh, after their name. Ph.D., MS, M.D., MDiv, M. Stupid, you know, uh, whatever and there's a whole etiquette for it I, I think it's, you can find it as you get stupid by searching for post-nominal, I think it's called after your name there's a certain way of, you know, uh, of, of doing it of course most of us don't have to worry about that because we don't have any letters after our name uh, but uh, people like to think they're smart anybody here use Grammarly uh, d- to check your writing? yeah, you should it's, it's a lot of fun it's free, it's online You you load up your writing, whatever it is. In my case, it's the transcript. And Grammarly comes back usually with 150 things that are wrong with you. you, And you go through. They're really big on uh, passive voice sentences. They don't like that at all. They want you to write in the active voice. But it's fun. It's a lot of fun. But every time I do that, it tells me I'm writing at a seventh grade level. (laughs) And you know what? That's exactly where you want to be, 7th grade, 8th grade, when you're teaching the Bible. So that everybody can understand. And you really shouldn't be the kind, of, I'm saying this for real, I mean, I, I went to college. <laughs> you shouldn't be the kind of person that sits there and says, you know, this is too simple. We need something. If, if your idea, if my idea of deeper is less understandable then I'm in the wrong ballpark altogether. I'm playing the wrong game. Deeper is, a, is seeing Jesus in a, a different way, in a new way, in a, in a better way. It has nothing to do with intellect. And so you want to dial down your intellect quite a bit to about the 7th or 8th grade level, those of you who are smarter than that. The rest of us, let's just be happy that we got that far. <laughs> but you need to di- this intellectual stuff, you need to dial it down for real. Uh, any Anybody that uses the word obfuscate Quit looking, listening to them To obfuscate is to make things unclear And they're making it unclear by using the word obfuscate Or I can't even say it now It's a shibboleth But anyway uh, So 7th grade, yeah Somebody texted me after Are you saying we're at the 7th grade level? I said no, I said you're, you're at least at the 7th grade level <laughs> I mean that's a good thing That's an exciting thing And so I actually really was excited about that because, you know, that's, uh, uh, that's verified. Do not think I shall accuse you uh, to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. These guys were looking for a way to murder Jesus, but Jesus wasn't their problem. Moses was. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. For all their claims to honor Moses, especially by their meticulous attempts to keep the Mosaic law... They obviously didn't believe Moses. Moses talked about Jesus in in all of the first five books of the Bible. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Lord uh, was spoken of. Moses was pointing to Jesus, and they rejected Jesus. And so they didn't care for Moses at all. Moses made Jesus the main subject. Verse 47, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? There was an original series Star Trek episode called the Omega Glory in which the crew of the Enterprise discovered two groups fighting each other on the planet Omega, the Yangs and the Combs. Turns out they were Yankees and communists because one of the other starships had brought them a document and they read it as sacred words. They, they read the opening words as E Plabnista. And Captain Kirk came and he said, We... The people. And he started giving this dialogue about the Constitution of the United States to set them free, and the Yangs and the Combs, and they all loved each other just like in real life. And uh, it's a great scene in Rocky when he's in Russia. I remember when Rocky was in Russia beating up, what's his name? Uh, yeah, and then he goes, "Okay, uh, me, you hated me. But he brought everybody together by pummeling their champion, and so that is the American dream in the American way right there let's all unite after I pummel your champion and so it's pretty obvious the scribes and the doctors of the law and the Pharisees were an e-plabnista crowd they wanted to obscure rather than uncover the scriptures And, and so they would point to something and make it so incredibly complicated that the average person would walk away sorrowful when it's really very simple next time you're looking for a great Christian read, check out anything by A.W. Tozer. I quote him a lot, and here's another gem. The modern scientist has lost God amid the wonders of his world. We Christians are in real danger of losing God amid the wonders rather, of his word. Merchandise websites allow you to refine your searches. You can choose minimum and maximum pricing, buying formats, sizes, colors, brands, shipping, all those kinds of things, to narrow it down from thousands of choices to just the few that you're interested in. Refine your searching of God's word, your reading of God's word, by keeping Jesus the main subject. It's not as easy as you might think. It's much easier to drift into intellectualism or uh, these different understandings and forget that Jesus is the subject. Don Stewart offers the following overall summary to get us started. He says the Old Testament records the preparation for Christ. The Gospels record the manifestation of Christ. The book of Acts gives us the propagation of the message of Christ. The New Testament letters provide the explanation of the two comings of Christ. And the book of Revelation documents the consummation of all things in Christ. Jesus came in the scroll of the book. Make sure we don't miss him in it.